Welcome to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name is Jeremy. My name's Adam. And we are here to discuss a B-side, a deep cut. <laughs> yeah, we, 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 we ran out of time. No, we just decided that we had gone so long last time around that we would save our subsequent... Oh my gosh, what's the word? Subsequential? No. Subsequent? Subsequent? No. Well, this is a word I keep forgetting. I don't know. I can't read your mind, so I don't know what the word is. Our Follow up? bonus material for its own very uh, for its very own episode, uh, and so we're here to talk about Ex- or New Mutants number ninety three, Excalibur twenty nine, Wolverine thirty one, Alpha Flight eighty nine, and Marvel Comics presents number fifty three. Um, sixty percent, seventy percent. I read three of those. Two of those I did not read. Which one did you read? We'll alternate them. <laughs> uh, I did not read Alpha Flight 89 or Marvel Comics Presents 53. Okay, so then we'll do <laughs> Save New Mutants for Last. We'll do Excalibur, and then we'll do... Which one did you say? Oh, Alpha Flight you didn't read. So we'll do Excalibur, Alpha Flight, uh, Wolverine, Marvel Comics Presents, New Mutants. This is how the magic is created, folks. <laughs> you're, you're seeing it live. <laughs> Oh, not live. Live for us. <laughs> and I would argue you're not seeing it. It's true. You're hearing it. You're hearing it. You got a point there. The other you thing. I would argue with your unsaleable logic. The other thing is that uh, we read all this stuff two weeks ago. So it's going to be a little bit of a stretch here. Adam, you didn't read Excalibur number 29 at all, or you read it and, and you're like, I don't understand what's happening. And then you. I read it. I read it two weeks ago, mm-hmm. and I I skimmed through it again today, and I there was like you know when you you see you've read something and you kind of have a recall of like oh yeah this is this issue where this stuff happens this I was like what is going on <laughs> I don't remember reading that like this is what is, did I block this out of my memory Well, I will try to put the pieces back together uh, on this one. The most important thing you have to know is that. Neither Chris Claremont or Alan Davis are involved anymore. Is that like a permanent thing, or is this just during the uh, the, the the doubling up? Because Excalibur, like X Men, is coming out twice a month at this time period. Well, I think Alan Davis is just straight up done, but I haven't looked too far ahead. Um, and I think Chris Claremont, at some point soon, is just done with Marvel for a while, isn't he? Yeah, he um, he essentially gets pushed out the door, as it were. Well, I'll have more to talk about that the closer we go. Yeah. I've been reading Marvel Comics, The Untold Story, so I have the full scoop. Oh, man. I should One of these days I should read that, and then I could actually participate in that conversation. You could just skip ahead to, since I have the book right here. <laughs> yeah? You could just skip ahead and read chapter chapter 16 of... Let's see. This is not going as fast as I thought it was. <laughs> Part four. Okay. Part four, chapter 16, Boom and Bust. Uh, maybe I'll do that. Maybe this is uh, normally... This goes for you too, listeners. Uh, if you if you know, if you want to know what we're going to be talking about in the upcoming weeks, that's your ticket. Yeah. Uh, maybe th- m- most books I prefer to read from page one to the last page. You know, as you do. But 
in this case, maybe I'll make an exception because, I mean, the, there are bits and pieces of the story that I care more about than others. Like, I certainly care about the origins, uh, but but this is probably more pertinent. It's been, always been a question I've had is, as to, like, you know, we know that there was a split between uh, Claremont and Lee. And, and to my knowledge, anyways, he sort of split from Marvel. I wasn't aware of anything he was writing. Uh, so maybe I'll have to check that out. It's all in there. I just read it today, actually. Well, reread it. Having having read the book uh, from cover to cover, I find that it's just nice to have sitting around, and then I'll like flip through it and try to figure out where we are in time. Well, and see if there's anything of note. I usually forget to do that, but this time this time I did. Well, my copy of that book is sitting on the bookshelf in the living room, so I see it a lot. Maybe I should actually <laughs> put it on the coffee table, and and that way it might actually get into my hands and be read. Put it on the toilet. That's where everybody reads their books. No, man. Everybody does YouTube on the toilet. <laughs> My wife has affectionately labeled that poop tubing, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> oh, gross. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a child. Well, all right. So Excalibur number 29, I will try to cover this. It, Wouldn't it be you pooping? What's that? Wouldn't it be you pooping? Well, I mean... Like, I guess not. <laughs> yeah, a poop tube makes more sense. <laughs> Tube poop. <laughs> <laughs> Gross. Um, this follows the events of Power Pack number sixty. Yeah, which uh, so <laughs> so I I flipped around to Power Pack and I figured out they're not even on sixty; they're on like fifty eight. Okay. So uh, so this is the writer of Power Pack, though, so he must know where he's going, obviously. I wonder if this is well. No, that doesn't make any sense. I was going to say, are they sort of trying to align their schedule for Extinction Agenda? But they don't participate, as far as I know. I mean, they're certainly not a part of the overall story arc. So, I wonder if this was just a, hey, we're short an episode, and we know you're working on a two-parter. Why don't you just release it a month before part one? Because that's what they do at Marvel Comics. Yeah, I guess. I mean, maybe he didn't know what the publication schedule was, and he was just like, I wrote these two stories, and Marvel was like, all right, do this one. <laughs> Perfect. Wait, that's the second one. Oh, well, who cares? <laughs> Let's <laughs> power pack an Excalibur. Look, we need to put books on shelves. Don't care. We don't have anybody for this issue of Excalibur. It's going, <laughs> it's going to happen now. So the Excalibur folks who are – Oddly drawn. This is uh, Chris Wozniak. That sounds. Wait, Wozniak. Oh, that, that's like the Apple guy. Yeah, it's, it's the Apple guy's brother. <laughs> Jeff Wozniak's brother. Okay. It's not Jeff. What is his name? The Woz. <laughs> we just go with the Woz. Seth Steve Rogan. Wozniak. Yeah. Steve. Oh yeah, Steve Wozniak. Steve Jobs. Yeah. Uh, Seth Rogen. Yep. Uh, and they uh, are alerted to something going on outside of the lighthouse, and it turns out that the chameleon ship, the power pack alien ship, is is above the lighthouse, and on it is Alex. But Alex is now a horse guy instead of <laughs> Alex. Yep. This is the <laughs> thing that happens with power pack, right? Like. When we first covered them, like way back when they had a set of powers, and then we covered them again, and all of their powers had sort of flipped around to different characters. Uh, and now Alex is an alien horse 
guy uh, when he uses his powers, I think. I think he's always an alien horse guy. There, <laughs> There is not a single panel featuring Alex in this issue where he is not an alien horse. So unless he's always using his powers, which I think right now he's the one who turns into gas. Yes. What I wasn't sure about is our power pack... Um, do, are they maintaining secret identities from their parents? Because I feel like the horse would give it away. So as of issue 58, uh, which came out the same month, um, the power pack is in the park and they are on live TV and their father is there and sees that they're happening. Reed Richards is there and sees that Franklin is working with them. Uh, so her father is in the know. And the issue ends with the mother seeing them on TV and having a panic attack and uh, possibly fainting or needing to go to the hospital or something. So so I don't know where we are by issue 60, but it seems based on this issue that the, the, the dad knows and the mom doesn't. Okay. Uh, and the they, mo- they talk about the mom going to the hospital or the therapist or something like that. Yeah, in this issue, Mom is in the hospital, which is also sort of a reoccurring thing when it comes to Power Pack. Uh, yeah, because the last time we covered them, their parents knew and they went insane and then they were convinced to go back and I don't know. I don't know why that keeps happening. Yeah, Mom keeps going to the hospital for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's just, it's just a thing that happens with Power Pack. She's got frail nerves. She can't handle her children being Power Packians. The dad couldn't handle it before either, but now he seems to be okay with it this time. Different writers. So I guess they went to the hospital, and at the hospital there were evil doctors and nurses. Yeah. And they were all captured except for Alex, the horse kid, who remembered Nightcrawler and was like, I'm going to go find Nightcrawler, which I guess makes sense, right? Because in his mind, the X-Men are dead. He's got, you know, the power pack kids know the X-Men. So I guess <laughs> <laughs> the ship is called Friday. I think the ship is called Friday. Yes. Friday. And he, horse, horse Alex says Friday knew you and shadow cat were our friends. Uh, and she knew where to find you. So can you help me? No mention of where Kitty is, by the way, which was a question of mine. Like, I think in the cross-time caper, Kitty is at college, sent there by Courtney Ross, and we really haven't picked that thread back up. Does that sound about right? right? Yep. Okay. And Excalibur thinks she's trapped in another un- uh, another one of their uh, parallel universes. Man, like, it seems like, you know, if you were Kitty, wouldn't you call the lighthouse, like, every day to be like, hey... <laughs> Uh, just checking in. I'm at college. Uh, Courtney Ross sent me here. It's, it's great. I got a car. Uh, if you guys are back from that whole cross time thing, could you give me a call? Miss you. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of like, you were in uh, London while I was in Farnborough. How were we to know? The way that these things work, it'll probably turn out that Kitty is not actually in this particular universe, even oh. though it seemed like it, she was. Um, you're probably and right. And then it'll be a different Courtney Ross and a different Saturnine and who knows, whatever. Yeah. Maybe college is the portal to a different universe. There is a, uh, upcoming arc called girls school from heck or something like that. Oh, that sounds like fun. And I think that's when I feel like that's a Chris Claremont thing and it get, and it does reintroduce, um, Kitty into the, the, the comics. So, 
So I feel like Chris Carmine is coming back. Okay. At least to do that one arc. Sure. One that... last arc. Wrap up his stuff. That makes maybe. sense. So Excalibur agrees to help Alex uh, rescue uh, all of Power Pack and Franklin plus the parents. So they head to the Institute of Psychic Research and um, the evil doctors and nurses, uh, they, they, they all fight and somehow Nightmare shows up. Is it Nightmare? Or is it, it just is Nightmare? Some, okay, Nightmare shows up. And, and he, I, was, I was wondering if Nightmare was a new character or if he had been in stuff before. I'm assuming he's been in stuff before. I'm going to look it up. I feel like nightmare has been in stuff like i feel like he's a i might be wrong i feel like he's a doctor strange villain but i don't think he was uh, a creation for uh this issue of excalibur oh apparently he was in excalibur 27 oh. shows how we're paying attention <laughs> okay any other issues um oops i clicked on nightcrawler not nightmare that would make a big difference because Giant Size 1 is not Nightmare's first appearance. I was like, really? That's interesting. <laughs> How do we miss that? They've been planting the seeds for that long? They're, Just for this this arc of Excalibur? <laughs> they're brilliant. So the first appearance of Nightmare was in Doctor oh, Strange Tales, okay. Doctor Strange, um, in 1963. So he's been around forever. Yeah. So he shows up here and he... Uh, it turns out I think these doctors and nurses are minions of, of nightmares and they cast Excalibur into the nightmare world uh, in which we see various uh, terrible things happening to Excalibur people. The and Everybody gets like a two page-ish spread where it's like three panels on the top, three panels on the bottom. And it's like a, like a EKG or like a, a heart monitor line that separates the panels with like this little black thing and in between that i didn't know what that was but everyone's got one and it gets it slowly gets bigger and bigger i oh, feel yeah. nightcrawler doesn't have one he has some eyes instead yeah so i don't, I don't know what's going on with that yeah, i don't know it looks like a scribble it, it looks... but it's consistent it's like a repeated scribble i wonder if that's like, like a... this looks like a mistake no i wonder if it's like a nightmare thing like maybe nightmare fans are like oh, i know exactly what that is so i'm not entirely sure what's happening here w with phoenix um but nightmare i, I think uh, corrupts her uh, and now she's evil um captain britain gets a cool little little vignette here where i think this judge here this redheaded judge is is one of those crazy gang people i feel like we've seen her before or at least yeah. we've seen somebody else say orf with her is ed yes, yes. Uh, that is something that we have seen which i like it's like oh that looks like a callback to something we've seen before uh and nightmare comes along and cuts off captain britain's head and with a smiley face you see his head sort of bouncing not a smiley face but he's got not a terrified look on his face uh, as he bounces away from from the chopping block there he's been branded a traitor for all time oh, oh, oh. uh megan she goes out on a date with uh, Captain Britain, and Captain Britain's like, it's over. I don't like you. And then she runs outside and sees Nightcrawler, and Nightcrawler's like, I don't like you either. And then she wakes up, and she sees Phoenix in the mirror, and then Nightmare's hand comes out and grabs Megan. Why can't I be beautiful like Rachel? 
And then Nightcrawler sees Amanda Sefton and is like, will you marry me? And she's like, no, you're, 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 uh, I'd no sooner marry you than a cocker spaniel, which that's a lame one. <laughs> so then he goes, I guess, and, and, uh, proposes maybe to Megan and Megan's like, no, gross. And then he goes to Kitty and Kitty's like, we're friends. You weirdo. Kitty just kind of shows up. I don't want any party either, you freak. Oh, and then like, Nightcrawler's like, Kitty, I, I didn't even ask. Yeah. And we're just friends. And he's like, I'm not your friend. Look at you. You're crazy. And then Rachel shows up uh, with Nightmare and, and Krupp's Nightcrawler. Um, and then is this must be you Alex. Know, it's like horse, horse Alex fights hog Rachel. So he, here's where Alex is not the horse. The black and white drawings are of, I think, Alex, the boy. So this is when this is like a memory. I'm just regular. Oh, no, wait. This is Franklin Richards. Oh, is it? Have, so the boy. OK, so so Alex is the horse and the, okay. the boy on that is Franklin Richards. All right. I got confused because the boy there in panel three looks like sort of a, a muscular young adult teenager, not a six year old boy. They might merge. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. Uh, he says, I'm being pulled. Oh, you're right. I'm being pulled away. It's like when I was in a coma. Power pack number 57 to 58. Tattletale Terry. I'm guessing that Tattletale is a reference to Franklin. Uh, or it's just the name of the editor and they've given him a fancy nickname. No, Tattletale was Franklin's like hero name for a while. It could, yeah, that could also be. I mean, I feel like they do that all the time, where it's like remembering Ronnie. Yeah, I or, know, but I think it's 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 got two meanings here. It's it's a very specific one. It's, you it's, could be right. It's you alliterative right. to Terry, but it also references Franklin as Tattletale. You could be right. I'm totally you right. Could be right. I'm not just could be right. Not a hundred percent. I'm saying uh, eighty-eight. <laughs> so, um, Alex takes on Nightmare, who's riding a, uh, sort of looks like Peter Porker, the spectacular Spider-Ham face, Phoenix. Yeah, it's, it's like Phoenix as a hog. Yeah. Uh, and then, I don't know, Franklin uses powers and s- saves everything, and then Excalibur's like, well, that was a weird dream, and then they all realize that they had the same dream. And then the best part of the issue happens, where Excalibur is just all hanging around in their skivvies. <laughs> And you're like, really? <laughs> they hang out like this? Well, Captain Captain Britain is like sitting on a chair that we cannot see any part of at all. So it kind of looks like he's squatting. I guess there's a leg behind one of his legs. He's got a um, towel. He's wearing a towel. Uh, Kurt is wearing a robe. And th- those two things are, are okay, I guess. I, I don't think Captain Britain wearing a towel is okay. <laughs> but when you get to the ladies, like... Megan is wearing like a skimpy nighty and I don't I guess I don't really care how friendly you are you usually throw like a robe on or a giant t-shirt or something uh, and mm-hmm. then uh, uh, Rachel also has like um, uh, it's sort well, of, sort of looks like a sports bra it's a sports bra and, and like a thong yeah some sort of tight revealing underwear that it's just, it's, it's it's odd but the best scene is that uh, Nightcrawler pours himself a cup of coffee in his Batman mug. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also, Lockheed is here, and he's 
way out of proportions. I think it's it not it's not a good drawing of like Lockheed. I think it would have been pretty funny if they had thrown like a white t-shirt or like a tank top onto Lockheed so that it could kind of fit in with <laughs> uh, the morning where when apparently this is the time of day when Excalibur hangs together in their their underwear. It's underwear time. <laughs> <laughs> Already? Oh my! And you're right. They the the kids all are are back together with their fa- family. No, just their dad. Yeah, the da- the dad is. Oh, and Franklin is still a horse. No, Alex not, is not a horse. Franklin. Alex is still a horse. And uh, I don't want Mrs. Powers to overhear us and become needlessly upset over nothing. So, so they fly in to the Institute of Psychic Research in a panel that's very similar to the panel that we saw of Excalibur flying to it. And they're like, oh, uh, it's too bad. The entire trip was a waste of time. Nothing of any significance whatsoever occurred. So I think the thing that Franklin did sort of erased everybody's memory of what had happened. I guess. But why are they heading there again? I was confused about that. Or are they leaving? I just I feel didn't like know what was going on. This is the same panel, like you said, that we saw before where they were arriving. But why? I feel like Are they they're about to do the same thing again. Not with Excalibur, but yeah, I, I was as I read it, I was looking for the you know like what did they do that um in 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 uh, I guess I want to use Groundhog's Day, but we'll, remember the um. Uh, the live, die, repeat, uh, edge of tomorrow with, with Tom Cruise. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I was waiting for, and this isn't going to be a perfect analogy, but I was waiting for the thing that like, if they're about to do everything over again, like what is it that they left behind in that previous adventure that's going to make the difference this time around? Not that I guess that either of those two movie examples work, but that's kind of what I was getting at. And as I read this and I sort of flipped back, I'm like, I don't, I think they're right. Like nothing of any consequence happened. So I guess I'll find out when I read those issues of Power Pack in a couple months. Sure. And I'll let you know, but probably not. Probably I'll forget. I I, I wonder if uh, Power Pack will just be two issues in a row where they do, they go to the Institute. One issue where they get all caught up and then another issue where it says to figure out what happened. Read last issue of Excalibur. And then there'll be some clever editor's name like Time Traveling Terry. (laughs) All right. Well, there you go. Uh, What what, uh, what did you read that you're going to cover that I didn't read? So Alpha Flight 89 uh, continues the kind of story with that Fabian Nicieza's writing where we have – it's kind of broken into three parts or maybe four parts – um, one part features the return of Puck, where in order to save Puck's life, they decide to turn him back into a legitimate little person, uh, dwarf. They say, we're going to turn you back into a dwarf, but this time it's going to be permanent, uh, reshaping him into a dwarf state. So, uh, I guess, I guess he'll be back. Do it, he says. But that's, so that's how Puck becomes a real live little person again instead of, instead of being a fake little person that he was before What's a tall man in a little man's body now he's just a little man in a little man's body yes i'm so confused or he will be once it's done but then maybe not because the evil master of 
bad stuff shows up and they fight. The master of the world is his name. It's a John Byrne villain from the, his run of Alpha Flight. Okay. Um, Wolverine and Heather Hudson are working together to find Wild Child, and they eventually find him, and he is with Gamma Flight, and Gamma Flight is they're teaming up with him for some reason. Gamma Flight protects their own. Um, that doesn't really go anywhere. I, it, it sets up a battle. We'll get to that next issue, I guess. And then Forge is still working with Box and Diamond Lil and other members of Alpha Flight to uh, communicate with James Hudson. And they manage to pull James Hudson out of his uh, weird computer existence. And he's alive again. And there's this whole thing about how, like, Remember that whole time that he came back the other time and it was just a robot and it ended up being fake? Well, it turns out that that robot's backstory is the real backstory, but it didn't happen to the robot. It happened to the real Jamie Mad, uh, uh, Jamie Hub, um, Hudson. And it was like, oh, uh, okay. <laughs> it's so complex. Yeah, it's a little too complex. Um, it was decent. I mean, you know, if stuff has happened in Alpha Flight. I guess. I guess if you care. Wolverine 31. Yeah. I, uh, we can do this together since you probably read it a lot closer to me. A couple of things that I will say. This is great, right? Because it's Sylvester and Green. And yeah. this cover is great. I mean, the Wolverine's a little funky, but like the background villains are all great. This is where Sylvester and Green go for the next 40-some issues. I'm I'm happy to be along for the ride uh, the, as the interior proclaims a new area of greatness brought to you by Larry Hama, Mark Silvestri, Dan Green, and some other people. Uh, this immediately is like, this is a marked change from the stuff that we've been writing recently from a pacing, scripting, and, and design uh, perspective. It's like somebody has a plan. <laughs> <laughs> it almost seems that way. So, yeah, like Wolverine's hanging out, I think, at the Princess Bar. Uh, yep. he, it's This is like, if you wanted to see Wolverine as like Indiana Jones or James Bond or just some other cool guy who just knows what's going on, knows what the plan is and uh, is ready for adventure, here you go. This is it in spades. He starts off with a drink, like a fight breaks out. Uh, one of my favorite things that that we get to see is uh, Wolverine's hiding behind the bar as this whole fight's breaking out, and and one of these bad guys, I don't know, hand yakuza, something like that. Uh, he's leaning over the bar to find Wolverine, and Wolverine sticks his hand up on, under the bar and pops his claws, kills the guy through the bar. Yeah. It's pretty cool. And it's well done too. And then he jumps over the bar and it's a really cool shot of him almost looking like a vampire. Yeah. He springs forward over the bar. He's got like his three piece suit on. He's got his patch on. He looks pretty cool. I don't know who these bad guys are. Really all I read was like the Wolverine bits. All this bad guy stuff. I was like, <laughs> I don't know who these people are. They probably matter, but I don't care. So uh, one of them is Tiger Tiger, who we've talked about before. Um, the guy with the spider on his head is new. The doctor who's injecting the monkey or I guess stealing the, some liquid from the monkey and killing the monkey is new. Um, the prince has been in the comics before and the koi is uh, Karma's uncle or 
uncle, grandfather, whatever. I don't know what she is. Sure. And um, this is basically there's a new drug in town. Uh, the spider head guy who's like the kingpin who, if he had a spider on his head, uh, says that it is the these monkeys are only in Madripoor. And we have extracted something from them that allows us to create a cure for cancer. And we just want permission to do it. But um, there's going to be like a new drug trafficking kind of trade. And everybody's like, well, what about Patch? Because Patch kind of deals with that sort of thing in Madripoor. And they're like, we're taking care of it now. And that's when we cut back to Patch getting uh, Wolverine fighting a bunch of dudes at the bar. And that's what that whole thing was before. Yeah. Um, like these things connect. How about that? <laughs> Weird. Archie is he? Is he going to be the the Jubilee sidekick until Jubilee's a sidekick? Archie was in a bunch. Like he was in a bunch of the, the issues uh, prior when in the Magipor story. He's just a Magipor local. Remember the uh, Peter David run where they fight the vampires and the um, Archie's brother thinks he's Indiana Jones. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So that that was Archie as well. It's just that guy. Jubilee shows up in a few issues. I, think. Oh, I can't wait. That's that's when that's when I'll really start paying attention, Adam. It kind of yeah. I mean, reading reading this as a kid, I remember this arc. Um, but it, I feel like the next arc when they get out of Madripoor is where it really starts to kick into gear. There's some good good fighting here. I mean, uh, I, this is good. This is well written. Yeah. Uh, uh, Wolverine's got opportunities to like show off his claws and show off his poses and he gets stabbed a few times um you shot many times says he gets stabbed there's even one scene where somebody goes to like chop his arm off and it hits the adamantium yeah they're they're trying to chop his head off yeah and wolverine's like good luck it's laced with adamantium we we get these three brothers who have uh, a tattoo on their back that forms an entire dragon which made me realize so (laughs) <laughs> so this is like straight out of a samurai film. Sure. Um, and one that I've, that I, I don't know like if it's a, a regular thing in samurai films, but I saw one with, which had, I think it was like five or six people who had, who lined up with their dragon tattoo that went across all six of their backs. And I was like, Oh, that's really cool. And then I came across this issue and I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> hmm totally inspired by that which is great as probably as a kid i didn't think anything of it but uh yeah what the movie was the but mo- the other day i was i was watching um i was watching a movie called um killer killer constable it's another constable killer whatever it's another japanese film yeah um about a constable who kills criminals and at some point some guy gets shot in the in like with a whole bunch of arrows in his back And then he turns around and he gets shot with a whole bunch of arrows in his front and he just kind of stands there. He's still alive. And I'm like, Wolverine copped that too. And I was just like, holy cow, all of these samurai films are, is the inspiration for all of this Wolverine stuff. And I was like, that's so cool. Uh, Are you sure that Wolverine wasn't the inspiration for all those movies? All these movies came before. (laughs) They're they're like, they're like seventies and sixties movies. Okay. If you say so, Adam, maybe that's what they want you to think. (laughs) <laughs> there have been I know I'm kidding interviews upon interviews where they were talking about how they were inspired by Japanese culture and I never really connected the dots to like the movies until I started watching the movies and I was like oh my god these things are all Wolverine 
at some point here, Wolverine gets uh, thrown into a shark-infested into shark-infested waters as he's fighting one of these Yakuza dudes who's got a so, handful so of grenades. Before we get to that, two of the brothers impale themselves on his claws so mm-hmm. that the third brother can, as you mentioned before, try to chop his head off with a sword, which is pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> It turns out that the drug that is supposedly a cure for cancer is actually something to make uh, men super strong and evil and have no pain, no fear, and no conscience. And it's called, uh, it's they call the drug Raiden, time to ride the thunderbolt. And I was thinking, like, that's obviously a Mortal Kombat reference, but is, mm. is Raiden, is Raiden, like, stolen from somewhere else? Or is it just from Mortal Kombat? I don't know. Uh, I don't there, either. I should have looked it up, but I didn't. Maybe I'll come across it someday. <laughs> there's uh, the the uh, shoot 'em up game called Raiden, and then you've got the character called Raiden. So I just thought, I, I guess I never, I, I don't know. It must mean something else. Maybe it means lightning. Well, I feel like, yeah, I mean, it could. They say ride the thunderbolt, and they're taking these little lightning bolt drugs. And then they say Raiden. So it's got to mean something. Here we go. It's from Mortal Kombat or not. Uh, based on the Japanese Thunder Guard, uh, Thunder Guard, Thunder God, Raijin, R-A-I-J-I-N, and portrayed in, so it's a derivative, or derivative, it's a, similar to to a Japanese Thunder God, which makes sense, right? Because Raiden, the video game, is, I think it's got like uh, lightning and, and thunder effects as you're yeah. building up all your little powers. Uh, so, meh. if you want to see the movie with the five-person dragon tattoo, it's within the first ten minutes. It's Blind Woman's Curse. It is apparently part of a trilogy of movies, which probably also have more tattoos on people's backs. But I only watched that one. This sounds amazing. Definitely, the first ten minutes are amazing. I mean, the rest of it's pretty good too. But just like for that dragon tattoo thing, it was pretty neat. Yeah, and then. Like I said, Wolverine falls into the water with a dude with a bunch of grenades. And uh, if they, Archie and Tiger Tiger show up and uh, they show up just in time for a couple of grenades to explode, some sharks to surface, and then Wolverine climbs out. Yeah, he says, uh, the sharks were hungry, so I handed them the Yakuza, grenades and all. I'm in a world of hurt, Archie. And meanwhile, they're, they're going to take him to a safe house and then two of the... Uh, the people that were even more higher up than the, the brothers with the dragon tattoo. Um, a girl named Quanan, which is interesting because isn't that, doesn't that end up being uh, Psylocke's name in the future? Dunno. If you follow the non-Betsy Braddock version of Psylocke. Um, and then his name, I don't know what his name is, but he is, uh, or maybe Quanan is like sort of a, maybe, maybe it's a title. Anyway, uh, he says he can't be killed except by a uh, a blade wielded by a dead man, which hmm. I'm imagining is going to be Wolverine somehow. But oh, it's, it's cool. It's good. Good little setup. Sure. Yep. Good stuff there. Uh, so what? Marvel Comics presents number fifty three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, it starts out with Wolverine killing some dogs, which I didn't like. I mean, they're not dogs. They're they're wolves. And I'm presuming that they attacked him. But, and he's going through a bit of a berserker sort of thing. Rob Liefeld is drawing him with a half mask on, which is a cool visual. 
No. Uh, until he keeps it on for the entire issue, which makes no sense. There's no thing way that half mask would stay on. Eventually it falls off, but only when he like falls into a waterfall. Well, what doesn't make any sense, and I, I feel like, you know, shame on Rob Liefeld for not dealing with this, but his mutton chops on the left side of his face are on skin that's exposed, but is covered up with his mask on the right side of his face. Yeah, he tucks his uh, pork chops underneath the mask, apparently. Yeah, but but the, the mask cowl goes back further than where his mutton chops are on the other side. It Like every... Not every artist. Many artists want to do this visual of Wolverine is so beat up that half of his mask is is, is blown off or whatever. And it's usually just a cover or maybe a panel and then and then the whole thing is gone. Most artists are able to sort of like put the head at the right angle so you don't really think about like, wait a minute, his mutton. In fact, I feel like we've had this conversation for <laughs> before about Wolverine's mutton chops and his mask. Um, but having it like this for the duration of the issue is goofy looking. It is. <laughs> but Rob Liefeld don't care about that stuff. No, he don't. He just likes the idea that it's cool. And, you know, it is cool for a panel. Um, and then it changes, it changes shape and size. Like the cows, different shapes and sizes throughout, which is distracting. Uh, it's basically a fight issue. Wolverine and wild child fight. They fight, they fight and fight and fight, 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 fight. Uh, they fall into water, and Wolverine finally loses his cow. And I guess Wild Child gets away because he has to get away because that's what happens in Alpha Flight. Um, I don't really care for it. I don't like. I don't like Wolverine, the Wolf Killer. No, it doesn't make any sense. Even though he does say uh, something inside me whimpers when the wolf squeals in agony. Something inside me says more. So it's like a bird. They're trying to do the berserker thing, but I just don't like Wolverine killing dogs. No, in an early issue of Wolverine, or I mean the X Men, we commented on this. There's a scene where there, like there's some wild animals, and Wolverine's like, "Don't worry, guys, I got this." And he he's able to use a once used mutant power to sort of not not like verbally or mentally communicate, but like empathetically communicate with the animals to be like, it's cool. They're cool. They're with me. We're cool. And like they <laughs> sub down those animals. And when you read like the, uh, Marvel superheroes character sheet, it, it says Wolverine's powers, like, uh, heightened strength, healing factor, and, and some term that means to communicate with animals. And they only used it once. And it was in that issue of X-Men. They glommed onto that for the Marvel superheroes, uh, role-playing game and in here we just see him attacked by wolves when when in theory Wolverine should be like no guy <laughs> like you and me were the same or or they would buddy or they would fight maybe but Wolverine wouldn't Wolverine would respect the creature and he wouldn't kill it uh, right. they would fight it until you know I don't know either Wolverine or the wolf prove their alphaness uh, I don't know I don't, I agree. I don't like to see Wolverine kill animals. doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So, uh, there's also a black widow, silver sable backup story. Oh. also drawn by Rob Liefeld and written by Fabian Nicieza, uh, the dream team. 
And um, I'm not going to comment on it. I just thought it was interesting that they have two two uh, stories together in this issue. It was, you know, it was what you expect. New Mutants number 93, saving the best for last. Yeah. Um, this was this was quite the issue. You knew it had to happen. Cable versus Wolverine, all this, and Sunfire 2. Got our cover with Liefeld uh, inked by McFarlane. I, so <laughs> let's talk about this cover for a minute. <laughs> uh, it, it is like a repurposed Spider-Man cover. And Spider-Man in this cover is Wolverine, which doesn't make any sense because this is not how Wolverine attacks somebody by like clinging onto them like an insect and poking him with his claws. Who's Cable? I Mysterio. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, cable is okay. <laughs> I mean, if we, you know, if you if you go top to bottom, you, you'll eventually find some irregularities and some perspective issues. But the Wolverine, like, I feel like Liefeld's like, oh, this is gonna be so cool. I can't wait. Uh, but it 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 this is not a pose that Wolverine does. I'm okay with the pose. I mean, he looks like he's leaping and Cable kind of moved in towards the leap and Wolverine's like, oh, nuts. This this is too close. This is closer than I wanted to be. I get what he's going for. He's going to smash his nuts against Cable's side (laughs) is what's going to happen here. That's fine. He's got a healing factor. (laughs) That don't take away pain, Adam. Uh, Anyways, it's it's a Liefeld McFarlane cover. You could see it a mile away. Oh, yeah. So, anyways, uh, whew, we open this thing up, and um, the the New Mutants have finally made their way to uh, Madripoor. And as I'm reading this, I'm like, I know that they went to Madripoor, but why? Why did they go to Madripoor, Adam? It doesn't matter. <laughs> I mean, was did, did was Moira like, hey, I bet you Wolverines in Madripoor, you guys should go to Madripoor. There are implications in this issue that the Mutant Liberation Front has been spotted in Madripoor and they are they are tracking them down is is what we are led to believe in this issue. Are there any breadcrumbs that lead up to this in previous issues? I don't remember. Maybe. So, so they show up in Madripoor, they're attacked. Uh Cable's like, Well, it couldn't have been our contact. Cable's riding a futuristic motor scooter. <laughs> it doesn't have wheels. It's yeah. Like a, it, it, it's, uh, it's like a hydro scooter. I don't know. It's it. What does it float? He's in the air. How did he get that up there? He must have gone up a ramp. Yeah, I was going to comment on that later, but I guess I didn't realize that this, it, it doesn't, it's not, if you're, <laughs> if you're sort of looking quickly at this two page spread, you, you definitely see Warlock, Wolfsbane, Sunspot, Boom Boom, Richter, Cannonball, some bad guys. And then off in the corner, and they're all well colored, vibrant, like in the foreground. And then off in the background, you see a blue and black. If you're not paying attention, it sort of looks like a raft. Yes, it does. But as you carry on in the issue, you definitely get close ups of cable's little hover bike and then if you go back you're like oh that's cable's hover bike 
in the background. And then you're like, well, wait, wait, where did he get a hover bike from? Like, was this at the mansion? Does Cable just have a hover bike? Of and course if, Cable has a hover bike. <laughs> well, if he has a hover bike, that means he's got a garage. And if he's got a garage, what other neat things does he have there? Why are they using the X-Men's mansion for a base? Why aren't they using Cable's house that has hover bikes? <laughs> and why don't they all have hover bikes? Didn't they, didn't Cable recently have a conversation with Forge? Maybe he was like, "Hey, can you whip me up a hover bike?" Maybe Here are the specs. Sure, we'll go with that. But it, to these, me, these are things. These are things that, um, yeah, you can't you can't jump into a Rob Liefeld issue and expect there to be a certain logic. To, um, to me, this is something that. You know, a teenager draws of like, ooh, I got this guy. He's got guns and he's got cybernetics. And oh, 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 he's got a he's got a hover bike. No way did Rob Liefeld think to himself, the backstory for this hover bike is as follows. No, no, no. It just <laughs> and no like, way did anybody at Marvel like question. Yeah, he's just he's just doing what he wants to do. Nobody's like, hey man, what he's selling it, comics. Where did that hover bike go? And then, uh. And then where does it go? Like he he rides it around for a little bit, and I don't know that it comes back in this issue. Probably explodes off him. <laughs> and then you know this could be one of those things where like we never see the hover bike again. It takes out like thirty bad guys <laughs> off panel on its own. There's like a whole separate cables bike issue. It's, it's just driving around and exploding. So C- cables like on his hover bike, thinking to himself that the Japanese government was supposed to have a liaison. Hopefully that liaison didn't set him up. And it turns out that the liaison is Sunfire. Everybody recognizes Sunfire from the files. He's an original X-Man or original second generation X-Man. I I want to plant this seed. Um, Sunfire disappears in this issue. And I'm only planting it because I don't want to forget. Okay. Um, you, You get to see his his uh his supple buttocks on page five as he's flying over richter fair's fair <laughs> i suppose if he's gonna draw gaudy looking women might as well uh draw some gaudy looking dudes yeah fair's fair equal opportunity okay. uh no me too here like he's he's like uh, dude's got to get it too me too iguana so um yeah if anybody gets that reference i don't get the reference i'm just going with it but if you do get it let me know because i don't think a lot of people remember me too iguana Mm-mm. it's very important that i find all the me too iguana people so after they get done fighting they take out these guys sunfire lands and you know he's kind of a jerk and everybody's like yep this is just like what sunfire's files say he's a jerk kind of gruff <laughs> um I realized, and I probably always knew this, that Liefeld does not care about um, maintaining height perspectives because Boom Boom looks like she's nine feet tall. Yeah. And she's in front of Cable, who's flying towards her on the hover bike. <laughs> he's like half her size. And he's perspectively going to fly past her and become even smaller. <laughs> She is doing the classic Rob Liefeld standing tall thing where the legs are tight together, whereas Sunspot in the distance is doing the classic Mm -hmm. legs super far apart thing that he also does. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
So we meet some more members of the uh, Mutant Liberation Front, including Strife, uh, who we met before, but now we, we um, I don't know, I guess we don't learn anything more about him. Nope. He's talking to General Coy, who we saw in Wolverine issue 31. Again, Karma's uncle? Ah, uh, um, yes. He does not have a costume. No. But there is a woman with wings and a golden helmet and a dude with a visor and a fat guy with a diaper. I guess a sumo wrestler. His name is Sumo. I is remember it? that. Okay, yeah. well, there you go. Uh, so these are the Mutant Liberation Front or some of the Mutant Liberation Front? These are the guys that uh, Liefeld put together for this issue that will probably never appear again. Maybe next issue. Maybe somebody, somebody's got... Somebody, Wolverine's on the cover, so somebody's got somebody's to die. Oh, on the next page, we see Cable, Boom Boom, and Sunspot all riding on the hover bike, which is weird oh, because... Yeah. Can't Sunspot fly? Uh, Sunspot can't fly. Oh, I don't can't? think so. I thought it's... Okay, sure. I, I don't believe so. You might be right. But here's we get... Um, so that's a get big a that's, a, that's a big bike. That is a very big bike <laughs> with no wheels. It flies. All three of those people. It's a strange design, too. Um, they're talking about how uh, Sunfire's father was a law, great loss to the world, and... Sunfire mentions that it is a shame that your son met with such so untimely a fate, referring to Cable's son. And we've we've gotten mention of Cable's son before, and I think Richter knows about him, but this is the first time in Cable uh, Cannonball comments, what's this about Cable's son? We didn't know about any kids. When did we hear about Cable's son before? Uh, I, and I think it was in that issue where Richter had problems when, with uh cable and he at the it ends with him being all like i respect you um mm-hmm. i think there's a thing where cable's like thinking to himself he reminds me of my own son at, at that age and that's where i think the only other time that we've gotten mention of cable's son okay and i think we did comment on it last time Pro- we covered i'm it. sure we did because i probably had the same questions then that i do now He'd have been near your age now, and one day, so on, uh, one day soon, I'll destroy the man who killed him, as surely as you avenged your father. So presumably, strife is being set up to be the man who killed Cable's son. Hmm. We'll see about that. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Uh, there's another new drug on the streets of Madripoor. It's called Sleet. Um, somebody should have connected the dots with uh, Larry Emma. So now there's two new drugs. There's Raiden and there's Sleet. I mean, this would have been an easy way to tie uh, the two issues together. Yeah, could have been. Just make it all Raiden and the story doesn't change. Yeah. I mean, story, I use air quotes. Oh, also, as I read this, like, it, it says it's written by Louise Simonson, but I don't think it's written by... I think... I don't... I think Liefeld is like standing over her shoulder, just being like, "Is that what you want? I don't. Let's. I want a hover bike. Can <laughs> you make that a hover bike?" <laughs> so I have I have some reading from uh, Marvel Comics: The Untold Story in in regard to that. Uh, a couple of neat things: um, when uh, Bob Harris and Louise Simon su- suggested other names for Cable, um, he he basically was able to say, no, if, if you rename the cable, I'm walking. And I guess that's the kind of power he had at the time. Wow. Uh, originally cables 
name was going to be either Cybrid or Cable. Um, both of those are pretty respectable. I mean, I think had he been named Cybrid, I, f- I think we'd still remember Cybrid. Like that, that seems all right. Yeah. Not as cool as Cable, but uh, Bob Harris wanted to call him Quentin, Ooh. which is pretty lame. As like and a superhero Luke, name? I, I don't know, I guess. Hmm. Bob wanted to call him like Quentin, and, and uh, Liefeld said no. And uh, Louise Simonson wrote the first issue with Cable as his all his dialogue came from Commander X. And that's when Rob Liefeld put his foot down and said, no, if, if we don't call him Cable, I'm out of here. And they were like... Well, he's got all the power, so Cable it is. Who was Commander X? That would be Cable. Okay. So they just didn't like the name Cable. To be fair, Cyber, or uh, uh, not Cyber, Quentin and Commander X are stupid names. Yes. Well, <laughs> and they probably would not have lasted the test of time. But Cable did. And I, I would argue that Cyber probably would too. Uh, Quentin would have been a fine uh, you know, real name. Yeah, I mean, Quentin Quire is oh, a yeah, mutant yeah. nowadays, yeah. so. Uh, Cybrid, serviceable. Yeah, not as good as Cable, but uh, Cable decent. Cable is, is the name. I mean, it, yeah. and, and it's for a number of reasons, right? I think it, it adheres to, like, some basics, right? It's, it's simple to say. Uh, it's simple to spell. Um, it's, got, it's got the syllables all in the right place, or it's got those hard-sounding syllables, Cable. Cybrid... Almost works. Cybrid sounds more like a warlock, warlock type character. Yeah, I feel like it, yeah, yeah, I agree. Like if we were to introduce like another of warlocks kind, and they called him New Cybrid, Android or something like that. Yeah, I think I think that would have worked really well. But anyways, that's a, that's a very interesting yeah. anecdote, Adam. Here's a uh, here's a quick read. Um, it was the beginning of the end for Simonson, who suddenly felt expendable uh, due to the the, the the sales of the title just, like, skyrocketed. Sure. Um, as Liefeld's illustrations of muscles and artillery, artillery became more outrageous, as backgrounds disappeared and reappeared, as he discarded 180-degree rules, the readership only grew. Liefeld would do square windows on the outside of the building, but round ones when you cut into the building, complained Simonson. It took me about six months to figure out that Rob really wasn't interested in stories at all. He just wanted to do what he wanted to do, which was cool drawings of people posing in their costumes that would then sell for lots of money. That sounds kind of bitter. <laughs> uh, I, I, I think he's vaguely interested in stories. He just knows he's not very good at it. Um, they talk about how Marvel likened Liefeld to a god because of the amount of cash that New Mutants started bringing in. And they say that Chris Claremont... Um, blamed Rob Liefeld for ultimately, let's see, where is it? Um, Rob, uh, Rob had a million ideas and no filter and no maturity to know how to best present those ideas, Nicieza said. So he started to flood ideas to the point where I guess it was starting to choke Louise's ability to create the book. He wanted it to be muscle and power and she wanted it to be about a group of kids growing up and those two things are hard to reconcile. And Louise Simonson finally quit after 10 years of marble. She got fucked out of a job by Rob, said Chris Claremont. Yeah. But Simonson herself laid most of the blame at Harris's feet. He would change plots, blame it on the artist. He would change dialogue and then say, I'm sorry, but I tried to call you and you weren't home. Or I'll be sure and tell you the next time. He would change some of the dialogue, but not other parts. So things people said wouldn't make any sense. It was his way of letting you know 
he was wishing you'd go away. So it kind of sounds like Bob Harris is writing half of this issue. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Also, there's a, um, we didn't mention that they have a portable Cerebro unit. Oh, yeah, that's right. Which I think we've, we've probably seen before. I didn't, didn't they have one of those in Fallen Angels or something? I don't know. The, the story of Cerebro now just doesn't make any sense because it, it used to be that only a tele, only the professor could use it, and then it turned into only a telepath could use it, and now we just have portable Cerebros that anybody can use. Well, it especially doesn't make sense in this issue because they're using it to track... Uh, one, they, they split up into two teams, and one team is using it to track the other team, and at some point, Trife, Strife steals the Cerebro unit from the other team, and the first team can no longer track them. I thought it tracked mutants, but apparently it tracks other Cerebro devices. So it just doesn't make any sense. I don't know. I want to talk about this panel, though, where uh, Cable is standing in front of the moon (laughs) and Sunspot is standing behind him or next to him. But either way, it just looks like Cable is now the person who's nine feet tall (laughs) and Sunspot looks like he's four feet tall. And at their feet is um, Wolfsbane, who, eh, she's probably finely proportioned. But the other two characters, juxtaposed, man, I can't say that word, juxtaposed, there we go, Uh, Uh, just don't make any sense. It's a perspective issue. Like, I I feel like it's supposed to be uh, Roberto is standing in the background, but it's just not. It looks. It just looks like he's pint-sized, Roberto. Yeah, you know what I remember. I don't want to. I don't want to rag on, you know, Liefeld too much, even though that's all we've been doing, <laughs> because <laughs> it is kind of fun and funny. But y- you gotta respect the guy. He he took a sleepy book, as has been done in the past. Right, you give an artist uh, or a writer a sleepy book and uh, say, do what you can do with it. And a lot of times that that turns a book that's ready to be canceled into the uncanny x-men for example um the difference here is that he is all style very little substance and it worked um probably probably to the overall detriment of the characters i guess you can always rebound from it but it, it sure does mess up like your mythology as you're like well you know there was that time when cable had a floating bike that he never talked about again <laughs> not that that's an important detail but you can really mess up like what people have spent decades setting up uh really quickly uh and then you either just be like yeah let's not we don't talk about those days there's uh, a good example of that coming up but um on the what, next page, actually. What I recall... Oh, good. I want to talk about it. I don't, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, what I recall of reading Liefeld uh, was that I bought New Mutants number 100 because that was the final issue. And I was all in. I was like, I'm going to buy all of the X titles in the 90s because I was you know, a stupid kid like everybody else was. I was like, I'm going to be able to retire on these things. And it was cool. These were action poses, and they're, they're not bad drawings unless you're studying them for kind of <laughs> cl- classically. Well, my then re- they become bad drawings. As, as far as comic book goes, these are fun, and they're, they're exciting, and, and they're interesting. So my recollection is that you know, the artists of the time were Jim Lee, Todd McFarlane, and Rob Liefeld. And Jim Lee was, was very consistent, like dynamic poses 
really good perspective. Like he's just an overall all around, I think a really good artist, even though I still think Jim Lee is a good artist. Yeah. yeah, I I think, I don't think that that's, yeah, I, I agree. I think consistently his work is good. I think he suffers when he doesn't have the right inker with him, but if he's got the right inker, like boom, magic happens. I think people are mixed on Todd McFarlane. I always liked him because his art, I felt even though it was like perspectively and proportionately wasn't right. At least it was, it was crisp. It was clear. Like Todd McFarlane is not a guy who just fills in a background with hashtags. He usually puts something in the background uh, and, and fills up the panel. Like you feel like a page of amazing Spider-Man uh, took a long time to draw. Now the downside is there might be like six words on that page and it might take you half a second to process the page and move on to the next page. But if you actually stop and you look at that page, you're like, man, there's a lot of stuff happening here. Uh, Liefeld on the other hand, I always thought had like really great and dynamic covers. <laughs> And then when you would open up the book, there would generally be six or seven like really cool drawings. And then the rest would be like these weird like, okay, cables like 20 feet tall. Uh, everybody's legs are spread apart. Everybody's feet look funny. Um, so he was intermittent for like, me. It seems like he has his things that he focuses on and they're they, like perspective, anatomy, that t- those type of things are not the things that interest him. He likes dynamic poses. Yeah. Like, I think if you take this cable pose of him in front of the moon and isolate it from everything else. You can even leave in the, uh, Leon Wolfsbane. Yeah. Wolfsbane. Yeah. You got to take, you got to take sunspot out of there. I think it's what it, what it comes down. And I I think you get a good panel. I think there's a number of panels that are like, okay, if you just take one thing out of this, I think it works pretty well. And, And then kind of flipping back, we've got this top down image of cable sunspot, uh, uh, Roberto boom, boom and cannonball. Um, it's at a distance, so you can't get a ton of detail in here, but it's, it, you go from like the panel just before that, where it's close-ups of their faces, which are pretty well detailed. And then you cut to one of those kind of far off ones where everything's, I, I don't blurry or just like not detailed and it's jarring. He doesn't have a good sense of like camera, if you will. And I think this is where like Jim Lee excels and i don't know maybe it maybe it is camera maybe he and i'd have to go read one of those issues maybe he goes from close to medium to far to to convey the same thing but i also think that jim lee has a a really good way of with just simple strokes filling in a face and making it look like even from a distance it it has all the detail that a close-up would or you can kind of maybe imagine that it does if that makes any sense there is a reference to that in the Marvel Comics, The Untold Story, where he, Jim Lee and Will Spartatio were both given uh, cinematography books by a particular Marvel editor to to kind of help them with their artwork. And so it, you, you, you believe after seeing their artwork that Jim Lee really took it to heart. Okay. And he was com- composing like cinematic shots. Sure. Will Spartatio is another good uh, – uh, artist he doesn't he, he never made it i don't think to the to the levels of those three guys but anytime i'd see a book with his name on it i'd be like oh art's gonna be good he was one of the image guys so yep. he was you know he, yeah he definitely doesn't have that kind of uh, name staying power yeah, yeah name status but uh andy kubert also i always liked him 
he also didn't seem to get to the level of these other guys. I don't, he, I don't, was, did he ever have a, his own image thing? I don't know if he did his own image thing. I just know that he was on X-Men for a while and I liked There's two Cuberts. There's Adam Adam Cubert and Andy Cubert. And I honestly, like, I don't, I don't know the difference. And I, I feel kind of bad saying that. I know, I know they've both done Wolverine for a while and I have probably issues with both of them. And I think if I put them side by side, I could tell the difference. But I don't think if you showed me one now, I would be like, oh, yeah, that's Andy or that's Adam. Oh, I wouldn't. Let me ask this. Are you saying that you like both Andy and Adam Kubert's artwork? You just couldn't look at an image and like we can pick out a Lee or. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I would agree with that. I I also f- can't remember, but I'm going to take your word for it. If I, I, I know that I like Andy Kubert from his run on. I think it was Uncanny X-Men. Um, and then I feel like Adam Kubert did something, and, and then I always confused him because maybe their art is similar, or maybe I just liked them and their names are so similar that I'm like, oh, yeah, Kubert, I like their art. Uh, without looking at them, I couldn't say. I, I want to say their art is very similar. Uh, there are probably things that are very identifiable between the two of them, but honestly, I don't know. Did they go to their dad's school of penciling? I believe they did, yes. Yeah. That makes sense. I wonder if their dads, like, are they all effectively, like, do they all share the same style, I wonder? I don't think so. I think their dad's style, because it's because it's from a different era. Is it Joe Kubert? Because he drew, like, a lot yeah, of, Joe like, Kubert. Conan, maybe? Or, like, like older uh, Silver Age books, if I recall. Yeah, it's very it's very different because of that, I think. Yeah. It just, he just comes from a different era, and they come kind of post all of the 90s stuff. Yeah. Although they were part of it, but... So, moving on here, uh, we we get some so on. thought from Richter, who is like, um, he says, like, when I was a child, he seemed like such a monster, but now I'm not so sure, which is weird, because Richter, we met as a prisoner of the hand, and he was rescued by X-Factor, and then, no, not the hand, uh, the right. Right. And the right continued, led by Cameron Hodge, to pursue uh, Richter until I think Richter shook the building down and then they thought Cameron Hodge was dead. Spoilers, he's not. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Um, but this whole kid angle here, is this this is new? Like we know that there's a a history of some kind between Richter and Cable or at least a history that Richter thinks he has with Cable. I think Cable used to babysit Richter. Maybe. And and Richter was like super scared by Cable. Or Cable like wouldn't let him have the two cookies uh, Richter's mom promised that he could have. Cable was a very strict babysitter. And instead Cable was like, well, you didn't clean your room. So now you got to clean your room while you watch me eat your cookies. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And if you don't do it, I'm going to shoot your guinea pigs. And Richter's like, oh my God, this guy's awful. That is awful. Holy cow. That just got that just got dark. It just got real. Uh yeah. And then, oh my gosh, then we get this whole like love so, so, argument between Wolf yeah. Spain and Sunspot. Roberto is uh questioning Richter about his loyalty to the team, and then he starts questioning uh Wolf Spain. I don't get it, Rain. How can you and the brooding Marvel actually be an item? I mean, you're so normal. And uh, whatever, they're, they're not an item. <laughs> they just decided they were an item. 
I guess we got some of that in the uh, the Peter David story where she goes to the thing to get permission from Doug. Uh, I was thinking about dating Richter. Yeah. But then again, I didn't even know she was an item with Doug. So this whole thing. And then uh, he says, um, I, he, she, he, she says he's been kind to me. And yeah, yeah. Roberto says, so have I. So is Sam. But I haven't seen you falling for us. And then she says they're like brothers to him. I'm safe and sweet. Rick is different. What happened to her having a crush on Sam? That was a thing. Was it? I just yeah. They uh, it was a whole thing that happened during their space adventure. Hmm. She got all embarrassed by it, but apparently, apparently, it's just been forgotten. Well, then she met Richter, and she's like, "Well." Well, then she met Doug, and then she met Richter. <laughs> oh yeah. Apparently, Doug was a thing for for a minute. For a hot minute. <laughs> now Richter is the thing for another hot minute. And apparently, I, I don't know if Sunspot's like, I want to date you. Because he doesn't say that. He's like, whoa. Rain's always felt things so deeply. And finally, she's begun to say what she thinks. Uh, for her to love him, for him to love her, if he does love her, it's court and disaster. I don't think he has any interest in Rain or wants her to have any interest in him. I think... For some reason, he just, I don't know, it's a stupid line. For her to love him, for him to love her. It's a whole page, he does love her, it's courting disaster. It's like, okay, Mr. (laughs) Fatalist. No, it's not. It's just two kids. It's a whole page of of this kind of angsty moodiness. And I mean, I guess it is the 90s, but I don't get the sense of like Roberto being like, I've always loved her secretly. And here comes this Richter guy out of nowhere. Nobody knows anything about him. It's just like, uh, Rain's happy. I don't like that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It, it's Rain's weird. Rain's always felt things so deeply, and finally she's begun to say what she thinks. She'd defend any of us just as she defended Rick. But she and Rick are so different. Whatever. It's, it's, it's terrible. I, I'll be interested to see if it goes anywhere. Uh, yeah. I, 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 I don't think it will. I don't. I don't. I don't rightly know. Uh, meanwhile, the other portion of X Factor, they meet up with the Mutant Liberation Front. Uh, the big sumo guy, whose name is Sumo, does the blob thing where he jumps on um, Warlock. Warlock. He, he splats him. Yep. And uh, But it's okay because Boom Boom throws a bomb at his back. Uh, okay, and here is where I had mentioned earlier, Sunspot is fighting the Lady Dragon, whose name is Dragon S., and he's thinking they're they're shooting fire at each other, and he thinks to himself, Sunspot. "Never have I faced sun sunfire." Sunfire, right? Sorry, I think you never said have sun... I faced. I I probably did say sunspot. Yeah. Uh, never have I faced so powerful an opponent, nor one who serves a cause so evil. Her heart is as black as night, and yet her brilliance dazzles me. So we we end there where they're still fighting, and we never see sunfire again. Do we see? The lady. We see the lady uh, in the background of shots. We never see like a fallen sunfire or we just never see sunfire again. Maybe, Rob Liefeld forgot sunfire was in this issue. Maybe she vaporizes sunspot. That's a thing that you should show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I left this issue not knowing, I'm assuming that sunfire meets the fate of everybody else but i don't know because 
he looks like he's holding his own here. Like I, he doesn't seem like he's in any threat from Dragoness. But next time you see Dragoness, she's doing something else. Well, on the next page, Cannonball thinks to himself, Sunspot's holding his own. Oh, yeah. yeah. I probably got that from that. <laughs> uh, and Warlock captures Kamikaze, I guess? No. Yeah, Warlock captures Kamikaze. His name is Kamikaze, okay. His name is Kamikaze because that's what he does. He kamikazes people. Whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and the next thing you know, uh, uh, New Mutants all are all hit by some sort of thing because... It's a paralysis ray. Okay, that's good. They all fall to the ground. I'm assuming this is what also happens to Sunfire, but we don't know. Um, Strife shows up, and he's got a big cape, and he's with his buddy Zero. Zero, you teleported us here at the most fortunate moment, or opportune moment. I am called Strife. I'm a friend of mutants, an enemy of humankind. You're their leader, aren't you? You have the drug. The drug! So that's why you're here. Oh yes, lad, I have it. The contents of a single vial will poison the uh, water supply of Tokyo. Another is designated for New York. Another for London. And here I was looking at this close-up of Strife, <laughs> yeah. and he just looks like he's got a squid mouth. He uh, kind of looks like the, uh, what is the, Pirates of the Caribbean guy? Oh, yeah, yeah. In, in parts, the, the, the second one, right? Where they get, you got yeah. like the Shelly octopus guys. Yeah, those yeah. guys. That was good. That was a good costume. I like that. It was. It was very good. I don't remember so liking the movie so much, but I really like those those guys. The, the I costumes. like all of them as sort of a thing that I don't remember as anything about, and I enjoy having them on in the background sort of thing. But I don't go out of my way to watch them. They they were pleasant. Strife keeps going. He's like, "This one's for Moscow, and there are other cities." And and he's looking up in the air. His mouth is open wide. He's holding the vial up in the air. He's doing like the Captain Kirk con pose. It's amazing. And it's weird because he's in the panel that he's standing on top of. Oh yeah. So it's kind of an, an interesting idea. It's he's, meta, Adam. He's sort of standing on the panel, as it were. I like it. It's better. It's better to do it this way than the other way, where you just have Roberto in the background. So I, I, you could make Roberto in the background working if you had just like drawn a line around it, so it was like its own panel. Sure. That'd have been cool. Yep. So Cannonball's gonna kick Strife's butt, but he's not because the the uh, the Mutant Liberation Front, I guess, leaves, steals their Cerebro unit, um, and I I think takes them all prisoner. I mean, we don't really know because then we just cut we cut over to Cable and they just say, oh, they disappeared, and Cable says they may have fallen into one of Strife's traps. Don't worry, Rain, he won't harm them yet. They're too potentially valuable. And resourceful as they are, they may escape to cause trouble from within. Quiet, someone's coming. <laughs> <laughs> Power up and be ready to block his egress from the alley below. Sunspot's powering up and it's like our old wait. Uh, Cable has faith in us and our abilities. The professor never did. He's a leader, a strategist, a real hero, and I'll die before I let him down. So Sunspot's all in on the cable train. Yeah, I mean, you know. I, I guess I, I'm okay with that. Sure. It doesn't. It doesn't seem like a major character. I mean, Sunspot's always been looking for like a, a father figure. I suppose mm-hmm, mm-hmm. doesn't bother it me. Works. But works for me, uh, I mean, spoilers. Sunspot's going to leave in like a couple of issues. So yeah, I know. <laughs> we'll see how that all works out because I don't. I don't remember. 
I changed my mind about you. So Cable leaps out at this person that's showing up that has a familiar it's looking towel. I mean, come on. <laughs> and he says, this guy might be a mutant, but might be mutant liberation front slime, but he's a professional moving like an animal through this murky mist. Better make my move now. And he does get it. He does sucker punch Wolverine who drops to the ground and pops his amazingly long claws. He says, not bad sucker, but not near good enough. So, Wolverine in the Marvel Universe is established as a short character. This man has the legs of a six-foot-tall man. Again, is the perspective, anatomy, these things do not matter. Yeah. I, Lord in heaven, it can't be. It is. It's Wolverine. Cable doesn't know him, and he doesn't know Cable. They'll kill each other unless... Cable, Wolverine, no, stop. They're not listening. I doubt they can even hear me. But they I do run out there. They do know each other because Wolverine says Cable, and Cable Logan, says it's you, Logan. It's you. Great dialogue. Hey, well, I mean, you. It's he you. Know, he knows. It shows us that he knows Logan's secret identity. Sure, and that's all you that's, need to say. All you need to say is Logan. You don't need to say Logan. It's you. <laughs> that's true. That's very true. <laughs> yeah, Bob. Who else would it be? And with an animal snarl, Wolverine leaps into action and, and attacks Cable. To be continued. <laughs> yeah. I have so many questions. So in a back alley of this ramshackle port city of this insignificant island nation, the battle of the century is joined as flesh pounds flesh and steel clashes against steel from such an arena. Can either man emerge alive? I'm going to go with yes. <laughs> and the question I have is... Steel clashes steel. Oh, well, well it would, adamantium, adamantium clashes with uh, cybernetic has. metal. Yeah, uh, I'm sure it'll become vibranium or adamantium at some point. Yeah. Um, I wonder if uh, Louis Simonson, Rob Liefeld, or I guess now with the new information, Bob Harris wrote those lines. Or Fabian Nicieza, who Ghost wrote, like, I guess he he wrote a previous issue a couple issues ago. Maybe he Ghost wrote some of the lines in this issue. And uh, it just, from, that, from that paragraph that I read, it just sounds like there's shenanigans going on behind the scenes. And Louise Simonson is getting the shaft. Yeah, uh, it, it'll be interesting to see. And I guess I could look ahead, but I'm not going to. So stay tuned into till our next episode where we cover the New Mutants. But how many ish, uh, excuse me issues uh, she has left? Does she? I guess. Does, do you know if she writes all the way until issue one hundred, or does Fabian Nicesia take over for a little bit? I'm betting she writes the extension uh, extinction agenda mm. portion of the New Mutants because that's a Chris Claremont joint. Yeah, and it's probably a story worked out between. Because uh, she is also writing X Factor, so they're they're probably all working together on that as a as a team of writers. <laughs> that it's their last gasp of authority. <laughs> yeah, I wonder. This issue kind of feels like, you know, the the issue that I guess a writer would 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 put in after they've given their notice, where they're like, "I'm out here. I don't know. <laughs> Here's some pages. Doesn't make sense. Yeah, I know. None of this makes sense. Worked here ten years." <laughs> this is what I get. Yeah. yeah. And then I wonder, you know, does, does the book 
go on to say like what did they do next because like does louise simonson just does she go over to dc does she like take like some work over at valiant does she go into the real world and and write real books or magazine articles same thing with chris claremont does like sometimes it follows up on that stuff and sometimes it doesn't it depends on whether or not it revolves back into the world of marvel if she went and got like a fry cook job the pro- the book probably wouldn't cover it because it has nothing to do with marvel but if they can rope in like talk about how john byrne is working at dc now because of how he got the shaft um they they tend to work in stuff like that so it's possible we'll find out more about her because what the thing that that i'm most curious about is you know becoming a writer or an artist probably more so a writer at a comic book is probably a lot of young people's dream right like my god can you imagine writing comic books for a a living and when you get to a point where you're you're kind of i don't want to say single-handedly but you're a a major part of of why there's success so thinking of chris claremont thinking of louis simonson and the work Mm -hmm. that they're doing on their various books which arguably sets the stage for more you know rock star talent to come in jim lee uh rob liefeld etc um but for a time, I'm guessing that, you know, Chris Claremont and, and Louis Simonson were probably the people like they were probably more or less untouchable, could probably do whatever they wanted, but also seemed to kind of based on what we've read, had a had a higher level of respect for, for what it was that they were doing in the comics uh, that they were shepherding. Uh, but I wonder, you know, that that sort of being a comic book writer, I would think does not even for 10 years doesn't provide like enough resume material for other work. I could be wrong. I mean, like other comic book work or other work outside or other work outside of the comics industry. Certainly like you can go to DC or or any other comic and be like, dude, I I wrote X factor for 10 years and they'd probably be like, yeah, that was a good run. Why don't you write Batman or, you know, whatever, like that, that probably happened all the time. But I'm wondering like if somebody's walking away from the comics industry, you know, for what they think is for good to, to finally go get a real job. Like what qualifications do you think they have? I mean, they probably have some sort of a college communication degree or something like that. But if you spent 10 years working uh, as a comic book writer and then you go to, I don't know, life, <laughs> are they going <laughs> to be mean, like, you did comics, huh? How did that work out for you? If yeah, we're you're a pass. big enough name, I think you go to other places like you go to dc or you go to whatever exists at the time uh dark horse is probably a thing sure. i'm not really sure about that um but also didn't chris claremont write novels um i mean event, eventually he will write novelizations of x-men movies I, i'm guessing he probably wrote some some books some other like original I material maybe feel like he wrote some fantasy novels Somehow, and I probably have this wrong, I feel like he either wrote or ghost wrote uh, one of those tech war books. I, no, I, I might be I completely wrong, and maybe I, I just made it up because I want that to be true. I think that those books were uh, ghost written, but not by Chris Claremont. Very well could be. Uh, yeah, I just wonder, you know, I mean, going to work for Marvel and writing for X-Men, you sort of have your built-in audience, and, and you can build your audience 
on top of the stories that you write. But to leave Marvel and to go write, you know, Chris Claremont's unique adventure in no novel form, like you don't have an internet, you don't have like a forum. I, you really can't go on to like the Tonight Show and be like, I'm Chris Claremont, writer of the Uncanny X-Men. That thing with well, Wolverine. <laughs> Buy my book. I mean, X-Men is the the most popular comic book of the day at this time period. So if you know comics, you probably know the X-Men. If you don't know comics, yeah, you don't you don't know who Chris Claremont is. But I feel like, you know, using the example that I just used for somebody who wants to maybe promote something else. I mean, uh, Rob Liefeld did Levi's 501 Jean commercials. Like it, They talk about that in this uh, book. People knew Todd McFarlane and Rob Liefeld. Maybe not Jim Lee so much, but definitely knew those other two guys. I don't think Chris Claremont, like Chris Claremont didn't look good in a pair of butterfly button up jeans, right? Like he, he's got his talent, right? Um, whereas Rob Liefeld can come out and be like, I draw comics and I like to wear jeans. So that whole thing was, according to this, um, Spike Lee put out the message that Levi's was looking for a young hip dude to do something uh, and like a like a maker, somebody who is a maker to represent Levi's, and Rob and it was totally Rob Liefeld's idea. He was like, "Well, I'm doing this comic book. I'm kind of important," and so he put his uh, hat in the whatever in the ring and uh, in the ring. And uh, I guess he was chosen out of seven hundred thousand applicants to be that particular spokesperson. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm guessing that. If Chris Claremont would have put his hat in that ring, he would not have been selected. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they were looking for a young, hip dude. So, yeah. <laughs> well, anyways, maybe I'm sure all of this information that I'm asking for probably exists somewhere. Uh, it's just a matter of me spending the time to go find it. Yeah. So some of it's in the book; others of it won't be. Yeah, uh, one day I'll I'll read that book. And I've seen documentaries, and they they definitely talk about like the rise and fall, but they don't really talk about like and after the fall, this is what I did. I mean, we know Chris Claremont goes to DC for a while. He comes back. He does. He he's still doing comics to this day. So he never quite left the industry, but he probably did other stuff. Yeah, I just have to imagine like the Uncanny X Men and. Excalibur and anything else that he was writing probably came with a regular monthly paycheck. Uh, and then to leave Marvel and go do freelance stuff. I don't know what he did over at DC. Did he write like Batman or Superman or something? I know he wrote a book called Sovereign Seven, which I think was his kind of, I think DC gave him a book to do on his own. It was supposed to be his X-Men at DC. Mm. Um, and I... I bought some issues. I might even still have them. And it was pretty good. But I don't think it just, you know, they're, they're, even comic book people probably didn't really know who Chris Claremont was unless you were. I know as, as, I, as I was a kid, like reading that issue of Wolverine, I didn't know Larry Hama wrote it or who Larry Hama was. Right. I, j- I just knew that it was like, oh, this feels like this feels like it's actually going somewhere because the last few issues didn't. But I didn't really think about artists or writers or anything like that until like Todd McFarlane or Jim Lee made me realize that that was a thing. So uh, it probably took me a while to even realize that, Oh, this is, I, this is the guy that writes GI Joe. Oh, cool. <laughs> I, yeah, I also 
probably did not put artists together when I was growing up for the issues that I liked the art and the issues that I didn't like the art. I think for the longest time, I thought Stanley did everything because every book said Stanley presents blah. I was like, man, this guy's busy. Um, but then, you know, obviously as I, I grew older, I, I saw Chris Claremont's name on all of my issues of Uncanny X-Men and I was like, oh, he must be important. But, you know, people know who the X-Men are in this era. People know who Wolverine is in this era. They, I don't know that anybody, many people anyways, knew who these creative folks were that were behind them. This is my there's point. probably, I mean, there are comic conventions at this time. So there's probably people who go to comic conventions and learn all this stuff. And I'm sure a lot of people I, anybody have who, favorite artists. And, but I, I think, I think, I don't think kids have that. And I, I'm not speaking for all kids, but I think kids don't have that kind of concept of industry behind comic books, whereas probably adults do. Uh, yeah. I, I I think that if you were going to cons in the 80s and the 90s, you knew who these people were, and a lot of these people were probably rock stars to you. I think if I, when I was 14, 15, 16 years old, had had an opportunity to go to a con, the con would have been eye-opening in and of itself. You'd have been like, oh my gosh, there are faces behind all of these names, and many of these names show up repeatedly in many of the comics that I like. And yeah. it probably would have opened up a whole new uh, avenue of like, what else have these people? Like, I never really looked outside of the X-Men or, or X-Factor or or if it was a Dark Horse comic, you know, Terminator and Predator, because I wasn't really paying attention much to the creative uh, teams behind them. Right. So I think if I had gone to a con, it would have been like, oh, my God, there's all this other stuff. Um, yeah. You know, as you do, uh, and uh, that would have been interesting. But I never had that opportunity, so I never really put much stock in who was writing these books, and didn't know why I liked them so much. <laughs> so, and I, I think the industry has changed in that it does kind of lead with its creative staff now, more so than it did. I think people are made more aware of who is writing a book, who the superstar writers are, who the superstar artists are. I think it's. I don't. Are there superstar artists and writers in 2021? Or yeah, I'm, sh- I'm sure there are. I wouldn't know who they are, but I mean, there there are people that may not be to the level of a Todd McFarlane or a Jim Lee kind of superstar status, but they're the they're the up and coming. You know, what are the, Marvel calls them Top Guns or something like that. I, I don't something like that. Hmm. Young Guns, whatever. Um, it's a movie. Yeah. Uh, I don't know which movie it is. It's one of those movies, but, uh, there's, they're the people, they're they're the people that are getting press for being the hottest new artists or the hottest new writer, or, you know, there's, there's people that do like, there's your Frank Millers who do things and you know them because they do some sort of iconic book and, you know, they become associated with a particular character. And I don't know. I I just think all that stuff is publicized more, Hmm. or maybe it's because I'm more involved in the industry now than I was as a child where I was just reading it and not really even realizing that I probably didn't even realize that Marvel and DC were different. I knew that because uh, the, the, the soap boxes and the letters section okay. would always be like, the X-Men are great. Not like some other comic book companies. There's a lot That's of, true. a lot of that. So I definitely fell into my, Ooh, Marvel, like DC sucks. Marvel all the way. And then when I discovered Dark Horse, I was like, all of these corporate 
big companies suck. <laughs> and it's the little guy that's, that's where the creativity is. Look, they can swear and show nudity in this comic. Oh. Yeah. And then I reread some of those old Dark Horse Terminator books. I'm like, yeah, hey, these are, some of these aren't really that good. Some of them are, but mm, not all of them. Chris Claremont does a 12 issue Aliens versus Predator uh, mini series for Dark Horse. That sounds I intriguing. Have, I have some of those issues. Yeah, see that 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 uh, is that after the uh, X Men or is that yeah, yeah okay. as well after he has been uh, exiled okay. from Marvel. So I think that probably answers my question. He left Marvel and did other work, probably at DC and Dark Horse, and maybe even Valiant and some of the other comic book places to to make ends meet probably got into doing some writing um eventually landed novelizations i bet you those pay pretty well probably that's yeah. probably even better paying than comic books honestly. probably yeah well there you go speculations you go. on uh comic creators by jeremy and adam the pl- <laughs> place you go when you want unresearched news <laughs> All right, Adam. Um, I guess to, to to the folks out there, if you would like to get in contact uh, with us and tell us how you felt about this exciting B side, if you will, uh, reach out to us at uh, www.xmenpodcast.com, facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast, Twitter us at Danger Room Go, email us, dangerroom at xmenpodcast.com, go out to iTunes, uh, subscribe to us, leave us some feedback, leave us some stars. Uh, or uh, go out to www.patreon.com forward slash danger room where you will get all of our coverage of the latest comic book rock stars who are redefining the X-Men for a whole new generation. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, we also uh, spend a, a decent amount of time talking about uh, current uh, current media, movies, TV shows. and Not necessarily current, just whatever's on yeah, our right. brains at the time. Current for us. Media in general. It, it's, it's, it's a grab bag. It's a random grab bag. You're talking about like 70s and 80s horror films. I'm talking about like 70s and 80s samurai flicks and 60s beach party movies. They were not current. You're right. <laughs> that was a lie, and I apologize. <laughs> Uh, although by the time this airs, uh, we will have talked about uh, WandaVision, which uh, we That's haven't true. done yet. But in the release schedule of podcasts, by the time you've heard this, you've had an opportunity to listen to that, even though we haven't recorded it yet. Whoa. And you will, you may have uh, heard us talking about The Platform, which I believe is a recent movie. <gasps> I forgot about that. I can't wait to talk about that, which we've already done in the past. That's true. <laughs> There's a, Hear us talk about it again, but this time with more from the Adam side of things. There, there is a uh, uh, Mr. Show, which you mentioned that you, you sort of missed the boat on. Mr. Mm-hmm. Show episode in which uh, David Cross is trying to do a pre-taped call-in show. And so he has a topic. Now, bear in mind the show is pre-taped but he wants people to call in. And so he's got a topic and people keep calling in about the episode that they're watching, which was last week's episode. But David Cross is like, no, the topic this week is this. If you wanted to call about the thing you're talking about, you should have called last week, which was recorded the week prior. It's very funny. And it reminds me of, of what we're talking about right here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You had to be there, folks. Yep. 
Mr. It sounds like it's funny. Mr. Show I, is a good show. Is it on Netflix? I should probably watch it. I don't know. I doubt it because it was an HBO show. But Bob and Dave, the Netflix show, was on Netflix. The Bob and Dave show is the exact same format as Mr. Show, but it's not called Mr. Show. Right. So I think the intellectual property known as Mr. Show with Bob and David oh, well. is only available on your HBO Go's and Pluses and Now's. It might be one of those things where if you miss the boat, you're just you're not going to be able to get into it. I'd like to know, like you know, Adam. That's a, it's a challenge to you. It's also a challenge to any of the listeners out there that are like, "Huh, I never did watch Mister Show." It was advertised heavily in uh, '90s comics, like probably in the run of X Men we're reading right now. As you open that book, that first glossy ad or the back glossy ad is potentially a Mister Show advertisement because that's where I first heard of it. And I was like, what is this? And then it wasn't until many years later where somebody's like, oh, man, you got to watch Mr. Show. It's so funny. And I was like, I've heard of that through comic books. And I think it was the final season that they were on because I think it was only on for maybe four seasons. And I watched it. I was like, this is funny. And then I watched all of them. And and recently, like four or five years ago, I rewatched them all. And they were still funny. And they were still funny. Jack Black is uh, shows up from time to time as as like a, a secondary bit bit actor because he Jack Black wasn't anybody at that point. I like I like it when Jack Black just shows up and stuff. Yeah, he's he played bit parts in a lot of things that you don't think about, and then it's all of a sudden, oh, it's Black Jack, Black as Jack. nobody. <laughs> it's Black Jack, Jack Black Jack Black. <laughs> Whoa, it just got weird. You know, uh, I I was watching and and uh, just just talking about little little weird cameos. Uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation is good for weird little cameos. The episode I'm watching now features like a ten year old Kirsten Dunst. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's like you see it in the credits. You're like, oh, weird. And then you see the girl. And you're like, oh, yeah, that, that's that's Kristen, Kristen Dunst. All of those Star Trek series have little cameos like that. I feel like was original Star Trek more of like Love Boat type uh, cameos oh, of like has been was, actors. Yeah. <laughs> whereas I feel like I don't maybe maybe the first couple of seasons had a couple of has beens. But I feel like there was a bunch of like un, like um, uh, James James Cromwell. Uh, was in one of the Next Generation episodes. I don't remember the character he played. Uh, but then he shows up as um, the inventor of the warp engine in the movie. Right. I was like, well, that's weird casting. <laughs> don't you think somebody would have been like, hey, we've already used this guy in an episode? <laughs> uh, and James Cromwell's you know, very distinct looking. Also, yeah. Matt, Matt Fuhrer, Max Headroom himself, shows up in one of the episodes. That's a time traveler. It's good stuff. Ricardo Montalban. He was not in the next generation. He was in the original generation, the TOS. Yeah, he was. And uh, and also a movie where he came back. No, I don't. I don't know what you're talking about. That's okay. Yeah. Uh, Jeffrey Combs played several roles in Deep Space Nine. Oh, that's that's. Ex- you know, I I am not as. Uh, up to date with my Jeffrey Combs films as I feel like I should be. <laughs> <laughs> like I know he's done a million of them and I feel like I've only seen like three. Well, that's okay. You don't, you don't have to be a Jeffrey Combs fan. I'm sure there's plenty of people taking up that, that's that true. Uh, role for, for you and, and the rest of the world. His ego is, is well stroked. Perfect. I'm assuming. Uh, the one, Oh, I'm going to finish up with this thought as long as we're on the next generation. 
uh, and this is this is like a, a preview of, of of the sort of witty banter, exciting witty banter that you can hear on the Patreon episodes. This is a sneak peek, sneak peek, if you will. We we did cover uh, a lot of Next Generation. We covered a lot of the. I think I covered all the Next Generation movies fairly quickly because there's really not much you need to talk about. But the one thing I was thinking about, the one, and I know that they, it, it could work now, but I guess I understand from a commercial perspective why they didn't do it. But I feel like if they really wanted to do the revenge story, like they tried to do in, um, was it Insurrection or the... Uh, the last one, Nemesis. Nemesis, yeah. They should have they brought lore in. Or... Or uh, a a rogues gallery of um, Romulan, Tashiar, and Lore. Same story, just those characters and not the Picard clone. Romulan, Tashiar does come back, I think, but... She comes back a few times, and, and I'm, I'm yeah. only... Uh, I'm, I'm like eight episodes into the seventh and final season, so I don't know if she dies. I can't remember if she dies, but even still, you could clone her again or something. And then right. and then you bring her back, right? Denise Crosby gets to be in a movie with her next gen- generation cohorts. Hey, I'm with you. That would have been awesome. I, I know. Like, I don't know why these people weren't calling me back in, you know, 2004. <laughs> Jeremy, like, we're, we're going to do this Romulan Picard clone. What do you think? No, 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 Lore. Denise Crosby. Oh, my God. Everybody here's mind is blown. We're going to fly you out to Hollywood to write it. What does that have to do with uh, the Wrath of Khan, though? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That'll be this guy that plays Sherlock. He's going to be great. Yeah. Anyhow. What does he play Sherlock in? Doesn't he? I don't know. I just made that up. Doesn't. Uh, oh, he Cumberbatch? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, God, I hope I didn't screw up that reference because I've never actually watched that show. But I, I'm aware that a lot of people really like it. I have, uh, I've seen it. I'm not. Uh, I'm. I, I believe it's like got the same sort of following as Doctor Who. Oh, uh, like where you have your obsessed BBC fans. Hmm. I wouldn't say um, I'm obsessed, but I like me some Doctor Who. Yeah, I, mean, I wouldn't say I'm obsessed either. I, I really liked the uh, earlier Doctor Who more than I liked the latter Doctor Who, but. You know, I still watch the latter Doctor Who because sure. because of how much I liked the earlier Doctor Who. Yep, I'll probably watch it forever now. I mean, why not watch it until it's canceled? Yeah. All right, Adam. Well, I, I don't have anything. Bob, else. Uh, oh. Bob Odenkirk now doing uh, action films. Did you see he's in a trailer for the new uh, John Wick like movie? <laughs> I think I did. I did, but I didn't like process exactly what was happening, other than. Bob Odenkirk was in this movie that it didn't seem like he was right for. Yeah, I kind of want to see it just to see if it ever clicks where Bob Odenkirk action star emerges. <laughs> I mean, he's he's like 50. I mean, he's fit and everything. I wouldn't say he's ripped or anything, but he, he doesn't look like an old man. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's all perspective since I'm an old man, but... <laughs> well, old man, like, action films are in right now. yeah got your keanu reeves's you got your liam neeson's you got your denzel washington's yeah harrison ford i i like i like this sort of recent trend of taking uh good actors that never quite got their break and doing things with them like um uh walter from breaking bad what's his face yeah, that guy. Yeah, who's in everything now. Who's great. It's great. I like more. I want more of him. I want him in everything. 
He's uh, a good actor. Bob Odenkirk. I, I, I watched Bob Odenkirk from Mr. Show, and I was like, okay, comedic. Uh, he used to, I think he wrote on The Simpsons? Maybe. I might have that wrong. Uh, but then, you know, you see him in Breaking Bad as uh, Saul, and you're like, okay, just goofy lawyer character, whatever. Like, this, this, this fits, this works. Uh, and then you watch Better Call Saul, and you're like, oh my God, this guy's got some dramatic chops. You yeah. do. So it doesn't surprise me to see him leap to, like, a not comedy role uh, in a movie. Well, Better Call Saul is barely a comedy role. So No, it's I not mean, not it, at it's, all. It's pretty much not a comedy role, actually. I, that's what I'm trying to say, right? Like, he was sort of yeah. a, a, a parody, if you will, in Breaking Bad. And they took that character and, like, like this is why he is the way he is and gave him a very serious, dramatic role. Like, those two shows are so different. Yeah. Uh, I, Better Call Saul is... Uh, it's great. I hope it's not canceled. <laughs> it seems like it only comes out like every couple of years and there's seven episodes per season, but it's so slow. It's so deliberate. I like it. A I lot. didn't get past the first season. Um, oh. I love, I liked the first season and I started watching the second season, but the show makes me very anxious because they're always running a con and it just, like it's very tense. Yeah. And I didn't like being in that state all the time. So I'll probably get back to it someday. But I had to I had to take a break because I was just like, ah, this is making me anxious. Well, spoilers, that's, the cons don't go away. Yeah, I'm sure they don't. <laughs> that's, that's kind of the whole point of the show. <laughs> so. So. Well, uh, you got anything else? No, Adam, I don't. That was that was enough, says says the fan who is listening right now. Are you guys ever going to shut up? Uh, and we are. We are actually going to shut up now because uh, this is what happens when we get to the end of the show. Mm. We uh, we wrap it up. I say something along the lines of, my name's Adam. I respond with something like, my name's Jeremy. And then one of us says, the danger room is closed. Why don't you say it this time? Oh, the danger room is closed. Nailed it. Nailed <laughs> it.